0: So this week marks the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road being released and we're marking the occasion with a special bonus episode. Our guest is Beatles expert Kenneth Womack, whose new book Solid State is billed as the most definitive account yet of the writing, recording, mixing and reception of the Beatles' final album. I'm
1: Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis. And this is Beatles City. <laughs> Laura, there's been a real buzz for a while now coming up to this anniversary. Have you found that? Yeah, so the anniversary of the album coming out is Thursday. But what kind of surprised me was over the summer, people getting really excited about the 50th anniversary of the photograph being taken on Abbey Road. I mean, that I suppose is just such a seminal image now. Everybody who's ever been anywhere near Abbey Road has had their photograph taken walking across it. Um, But for it to build so much towards this week, I think it's really exciting. And you obviously um, met up with Ken, who's a real expert on Abbey Road. He's been writing his latest book all about it. And you met him... Um, here in Liverpool, what was he doing here? Yeah, so it was
0: nice to finally meet Ken. I've obviously spoken to him before on the podcast, but that was over the phone when he was in the United States. So it was nice to have him here in Liverpool. He was here for the Music in Tourism Convention. He was talking all about how um, you can draw people into cities and towns based around the music. Um, but then it was nice to also catch up with him
1: about the new book that he's got coming out. So this is supposed to be the the most definitive account. What would you say makes it that? The amount of research that he puts into it is incredible.
0: He really delves into it and he does not stop until he's got the account of every single person who was sitting around that recording desk, you know, the people who dropped them off of of the morning.
1: You know, he, he gets 10 perspectives of, you know, one thing that happens. And he's obviously not from Liverpool, he's from America, but he seems to have a special place in his heart for the city, would you say? definitely he says he loves the city it's one of his favorite cities ever
0: he says so that's really nice and when he comes here he doesn't just come for Beatles stuff either he he says he loves to walk around the city and take in you know the buildings and he likes to speak to the people so you you do get the sense of he really knows what he's talking about when he's talking about being in liverpool Hi Ken, thanks so much for agreeing to speak to me again. So last time we spoke to each other we were actually on the phone and you were in America but now you've come all the way to Liverpool um, to the BME for a music convention. So do you want to tell me a little bit about what you're doing here today?
2: Sure, so... uh... As you know from our previous conversations, I'm the Dean of Humanities and Social Sciences at Monmouth University, the home of the Bruce Springsteen Archives and Center for American Music. So we have our team here today to join in on the Sound Diplomacy Music Tourism Conference at the BME. And we have five students as part of a study abroad group. So they've been getting a a whirlwind tour of the Beatles in England. They spent uh, a few hours inside Abbey Road Studios a couple of days ago. They got to uh, do a walking tour, uh, went to Universal Music Group, and uh, had a great tour with uh, our local friend, as I'm sure you know, David Bedford, yesterday looking at the sites, going into boyhood homes, et etc. Et so we're just, uh, we're living it up here in England. And today, uh, the director of the center, Eileen Chapman, and I are giving a talk on trying to create international connections for music tourism between Liverpool and Asbury Park.
0: So if you don't mind, now I would like to talk a little bit about your new book. You bet. (laughs) So so, so how long has this been in the making then?
2: Uh, It's been in the making for uh, three years. Um, It's with Cornell University Press, which of course is a a wonderful world-class university, and they were looking for something... um, to do in this year. And I said, well, it's the 50th anniversary of the Abbey Road album. Let's do that. So that's how that came about. And uh, I was thrilled that they asked me to come up with a concept for them.
0: It's being labeled as the definitive account of you know, what happened behind the scenes there. How do you even go about starting to make a go of that?
2: Well, <laughs> um, I, I, of course, I wanted to see if I could find new things and, new, and share new nuances about the story. But at the same time, while you do that, you have to tell the old story that people are familiar with because they're going to look for certain things. And you can't talk about Abbey Road without talking about the Get Back slash Let It Be project that took place first in January 1969, in the months before the making of Abbey Road. And you can't talk about that album and not talk about the end of the band, which happens almost immediately after the conclusion of the record. Um, In fact, we're only a few days from the 50th anniversaries of their last two meetings ever. Um, so it happens very, very quickly in that space of time. The angle I took was the solid-state technology that, the, that made the record. So it was the first Beatles album that had, um, you know, it wasn't using tube or valve equipment. So it has a very different sound. Even when I was a kid, when I was 11, and I first heard the album, I remember thinking, wow, this record sounds different. I had no idea why it was different, but it's because of that warmth that you get from electric equipment as opposed to tube.
0: And how did you go about trying to fit that evolution into the one book?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just went chronologically for the most part. You can't tell a Beatles story without doing a little bit of shadow uh, cast toward the past, Wow, that rhymed. It's about time. In any event, (laughs) this is just trying to make a good podcast here, folks. In any event, um, so you have to tell the story. So I mostly went chronologically, so people could feel like they were there, um, moment by moment, finishing the record, miraculously bringing it into being. There were lots of challenges. John Lennon suffered a terrible car wreck in July 1969 that put him and Yoko out of commission. And then, of course, John had an ongoing heroin uh, addiction that was a big challenge for the band and other sorts of issues and tensions. So it's a miraculous story in the making of this just breathtaking album. But very quickly after that, they realized they can't go forward. And, and actually, when I was writing it, I felt acutely the pain and the sadness of that fact, you know, because you realize just like a relationship when it breaks up, right? You just sort of have a sadness and a sense of, of brokenness as, as things collapse.
0: And could you see that you've done a lot of, a lot of research on the Beatles. Researching it, could you tell a difference even in just what you were finding out, you know, that there was a, rare, there was a tension brewing there?
2: Sure. And I, I was I talked to most of the the personnel who worked on the record, Alan Parsons, John Curlander, and many others. And um, I got their take on that, too, which really helped uh, the moments where they saw the tension. They didn't see as much, by the way, as they had with the White Album, because there was a sense of brokenness. This was their last record. I don't know that they knew that at the time. But it's sort of like, again, like a relationship. You know, we've all been in those where you realize, wow, I love this person, but I don't think this is going to go on much longer. And you kind of start seeing it through a different lens. Uh, Paul McCartney often points to uh, a certain day in May 1969 when he felt they kind of broke the band. They had a big argument. It was... um, at a different studio other than Abbey Road where they were working on the song You Never Give Me Your Money, and he said it was the breaking of the Liberty Bell of the Beatles. And really after that, it was just a matter of time.
0: Is is there any one moment that you you know you found out about and you thought, wow, maybe that, that cut me more than other moments? Um,
2: what well, I knew about several moments before, but I was able to dig a little deeper, which is what you do with subjects like this, right? Um, and two examples of that would be John Curlander, who was the tape operator, telling me about the day in which they had a big blow up. Um, Yoko had snuck over. They could all see her through the window of the studio and taken a biscuit out of George Harrison's guitar case. And George was furious. And this whole hellaciousness broke out in the, in the, up in the control room at Abbey Road. Um, but it was that same day later when they recorded the beautiful guitar solos at the end of the record. And what I like about that story is not the terrible thing that happened between John and the other Beatles because of his wife, right? It was the fact that they rose above the occasion and they were really good at that. And all great artists, whether you're James Joyce or Virginia Woolf or the Beatles, do that. You step up as long as you can and you find that greatness. And they did that that afternoon. They were able to sit there together and play those solos. And that's what made them great. It's that um, gumption or... Um, stick-to-itiveness that they had, that they could see through a moment after such a blow-up like that. The other one would be um, uh, the long-talked-about second meeting that the Beatles had, which was apparently recorded, um, has been kept very secret for many years. They had two meetings uh, after they finished the album, actually three, a photo session where all four were present on August twenty second, 1969, which is, that's the tolling of the bell for the Beatles that day, Another meeting in September where John Lennon asked for a divorce. George Harrison was not there. His mother was ill up here in Liverpool, um, and she died not long afterwards. And a third, uh, where Ringo was unavailable. He was in uh, L.A. vacationing with his wife, Maureen. And um, in that meeting, it's very sobering. They really realize there's no way forward. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a sobering moment.
0: So speaking to the staff that were there, and even though it was, you know, there were tensions, did they still talk about, like, wow, it was really beautiful to witness what they witnessed?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, there are numerous occasions. And when you listen to that record, you know, how little or how much you know about it, the musicianship is superb. Um, They had really risen to such an incredible level by that moment. I mean, they were outplaying everybody, including themselves. You know, it was the, the sum total of all of those years of playing really came through. Um, you can hear it in those guitar solos. George Harrison with something, and here comes the sun. I mean, those are exquisite compositions. Um, Paul, uh, George Martin working on the medley and creating something so beautiful. John, despite all of his challenges, rising to the occasion and giving us come together, you know, which is just a great tune by anyone's measure. You know, it's uh, it really is the sum of all of what they could do.
0: You mentioned you touched on before that you know from from then onwards everything becomes sort of secretive, become a, become a bit bitter. Did that make it hard for you to find out information?
2: It didn't make anything hard. It just made me sad. <laughs> you know, because I was sort of experiencing it in chronological sort of real time, and it just made me sad. But. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things they didn't talk about. And, of course, whenever we talk about the Beatles, there are two challenges. Challenge one is people didn't think it was that important in 1969, right? Now anything that we think is marginally important, we record, we tape, we take photos, we document. Um, There's simply... Wasn't that mindset back in 1969? There barely was in 1979. (laughs) So we're always going to have those lacks that we have to deal with. Second thing is one of the most important members of the story was ripped out of it at the end of 1980. So we don't get uh, John Lennon's sobering reflections on what he would have thought about these sorts of issues when he got to be 45 or 50. And that's a heartbreaker because anybody who lives long enough knows that as we get older, we start to think about things differently, right? Great example is Paul McCartney with the beautiful song, Let It Be. He refers to his mother, Mary. A lot of people saw that as Catholicism and they, they took to it in a, in a kind of religious sense. Of course, Paul at first was like, this isn't a religious song, it's about my mom. <laughs> but as he got older, he would say things like, you know what? I don't care why people go to the song, as long as it touches them and makes them happy and brings out something important to them, that's enough for me. And that's what comes with wisdom and age. And John was denied that. So we lose a lot of his reflections that he would have been able to have when he could have heard, say, the medley, which he was a little bitter about because he had been out of commission, as I said, with the car wreck Um, at the time. If he'd gotten to live to 1990, he might have said, you know what, I wasn't always happy and my nose was a little bit out of shape. But what a medley.
0: So what's next for you then in terms of the the Beatles?
2: Well, I'm working on the story of John Lennon's last year.
0: Wow, that's a big one.
2: It is, um, but it's also a tight one. You know, we're able to, because it happens in 1980... The amount of research and the amount of uh, documentation on what happened almost every day is available, so I'm able to work inside those places. I have a a number of um, new findings that we could talk about next year if you'd like, but uh, it too is a bittersweet story, but it's one that everyone loves because at a certain point, it's about a comeback. It's about a person who had, um, by his own admission, had moments of depression, uh, difficulty concentrating, was raising a son, all sorts of things that were going on, a young son, um, and found his way back the way he wanted to come back in a beautiful and outstanding way with some of the most outstanding songs in his, his story. In fact, uh, just for you listeners out there, as we walked into this room today to work on this podcast, um, we were serenaded over the, the PA system by John's woman you know, which is one of his great uh, last compositions. And uh, it's a powerful story because I think just about anybody can connect with a comeback. We all want the great comeback where we find that one bit of glory. Of course, he didn't know it was his last, uh, thankfully. But um, you know, it's just a powerful story that we all connect with.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming and speaking to me today, and especially here in Liverpool, it's always nice to have you here.
2: You bet, and I love the Liverpool Echo, and I love this town. You guys um, deserve so much credit for making such a hospitable, welcoming place. Like I said before, Liverpool is the kind of city you should just go to anyway, beyond the football, beyond the Beatles.